0: Good evening. The war continues in Ukraine. We speak to a freelance reporter currently in the capital of the capital city of Kiev. And later on, uh, we discuss the issues of uh, people of color, black people and Africans in particular, who are being prevented from leaving the country with these and other stories. I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, March 1st, 2022 in news from an escalating war russia bombed a tv tower in ukraine's capital today video footage shown widely on various media uh, on the internet and other sciences showed smoke billowing from a massive broadcasting tower More video, including clips posted on Twitter and other social media and from security cameras, showed a massive explosion said to have been caused by a Russian cruise missile in the central square of Kharkiv, Russia's second largest city. Ukraine's government says the attack killed at least 10 people and wounded 35. Aerial photographs obtained from commercial sources show a convoy of military trucks moving closer to Kyiv, city, a city of three million in Ukraine's capital, with the boom of rockets and artillery heard in suburbs a few miles from the city. Russia's defense ministry urged Kyiv residents to flee and said it would strike unspecified areas used by Ukraine's security services and communications, but most have not heeded the warning. Freelance reporter Maria Pizarenko is under curfew in a cavernous subway station in central Kyiv. She says the city is deserted tonight during the 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. curfew. During the day, though, food has become scarce with skyrocketing prices in supermarkets with nearly bare shelves. Yet she adds her neighbors are standing strong and she tells WBAI they are preparing to resist a possible Russian onslaught. They are
1: coming closer to Kyiv was like the top topic for all the conversations here today in Kyiv among all the people I've met today. So everybody is getting more scared day by day, panic, more understanding that uh, something really could happen. We've without. seen
0: pictures of supermarkets with empty shelves. What is the food situation uh, right now?
1: The problem which started today, we have, what, the day of the week? Monday? Is it Monday today?
0: Yeah. I, I love Tuesday. Talks. Tuesday and here. Talks.
1: Uh-huh, so it's already Tuesday, I guess maybe everybody here in Ukraine have lost count. You know, we know that it is day six of war, and we do not know what is the day of the week. so when there was a curfew for three days after that, uh there were like crazy lines, a lot of people in all the supermarkets trying to buy food, understanding that curfew will continue, but not like for three days but every evening and so people went out to grocery stores buying whatever they could. so i've witnessed how people buy everything from alcohol to some bars and chocolate some very specific things that they do not really need but they understand that there will be no food in some coming days or weeks because the supply is off no trucks with food you know are going about the city because of war so you do not get extra supplies in your grocery store or nearby supermarket. So it was really crazy and terrifying image of how price on uh, the groceries um, has been raised by by the vendors. I did not even understand what's going to be in coming days. We all hope only for peaceful resolution of this uh, situation and uh, you know getting back to normal life.
0: So you're in a bomb shelter. Describe where you are right now.
1: As for me, I'm now walking just in the casual metro pl- platform at the Station Universitet in the um, historical center of Kiev. so it's kind of 80 meters deep. Uh, you go there uh, with an escalator and there's a big platform, and there are a lot of people lying around on their mats, on their coats like dogs are here, people just chilling, lying, trying to sleep. There is also an interesting picture right there before my eyes, a massage table. is <laughs> put just in the middle of platform and professional massage master is being, you know, massaging a man who doesn't, you know, seem to, to be having bad time right now. It's very calm, you know, very, very peaceful. So it is a curfew, so they had, uh, they have to stay from 8 o'clock in the evening to 8 o'clock in the morning here. And the station is closed with special uh, protection. The station is built in Soviet era. The Soviets knew how to prepare for atomic nuclear war. And that is why all the stations in Kyiv are to be used as bomb shelters. And this is what the Kyiv administration to city council actually allowed to do to use metro stations as bomb shelters. So for now, people are really, really sitting, reading something, just waiting till the morning. For me, it is so surreal because it's my my city, and I thought I would never see such pictures in my life. But now. It's, it's reality. I'm, I'm scared, honestly, to see my city, my, my place in such a bad condition with such pictures like people sleeping in the metro station. It's just horrible, but we understand it's war and you just have to, you know, live through this and try to make whatever you can do, support army, I don't know, volunteer, and this is what helps, sure. you know, calm down yourself.
0: I'm going to leave it at that for now, and I'll stay uh, in touch, if that's okay, as this thing develops, because our listeners are very interested, and uh, maybe we'll talk more.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, now we uh, say among um, people here in Ukraine that we can't plan even uh, something for the time in three hours. I'm not talking even about tomorrow, but we will plan it. We will keep in touch.
0: And that's freelance reporter Maria Pisarenko speaking with wbai from a bomb shelter a converted subway station as she said earlier they were built in the 1930s under the regime of then soviet premier joseph stalin they were designed to protect the residents of kiev from nuclear attack by the united states now they're being used to protect ukrainians in kiev from a potential russian attack as maria reported you can still get a free relaxing massage while awaiting a possible attack. Meanwhile, speaking in a heavily guarded government compound in Kiev, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, unshaven and wearing simple cocky clothes, said Russia must first stop bombing people before peace talks could make any headway. Zelensky also urged NATO members to impose a knife, no-fly zone to stop Russia's air force, something the military alliance has ruled out. Zelensky also spoke by phone for 30 minutes with President Joe Biden. He said the artillery barrages on the eastern city of Kharkiv – amounted to state terrorism. Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, said the special military operation, their words for the invasion, would continue until it had achieved its goals defined by President Putin as disarming Ukraine and capturing the so-called neo-Nazis, he says, are running the country. In more news, also subject to the fog of war and propaganda by both sides, Russia claimed to have completely encircled Ukraine's Azov Sea coast. If confirmed, that would mean Russian forces invading from Crimea had joined up with separatists in the east and had cut off Ukraine's main eastern port of Maropol. In related news, reeling under the impact of crushing Western economic sanctions, Moscow announced a ban on foreign companies selling assets to try and halt the flight of Western companies abandoning abandoning their Russian ties. President Vladimir Putin also issued a decree banning cash exports of foreign currency from Russia exceeding $10,000 in value. The effect of the sanctions is impacting Western economies, too. With energy prices soaring, the United States and its allies agree today to release oil reserves as buyers avoid Russian suppliers. Meanwhile, there's a continuing flood of refugees trying to get out of Ukraine. More than 660,000 people, mostly women and children, have fled to neighboring countries in Poland, Hungary and Romania. That has led to reports of racist policies at some border crossings where African students fleeing the country have been denied access to the border as Ukrainians are allowed to leave unhindered. One woman tweeted she'd been kicked off of three trains in Ukraine, an African woman. Africans have reported being whipped by troops near the Polish border and mobile phone footage shows soldiers pointing automatic weapons at the men and women attempting to flee the conflict following the Russian invasion. Videos show a van driving into a crowd of Africans who protested that they are students from Ukraine and troops in Ukraine who appear to be blocking Africans from boarding rescue trains.
1: They're not letting the black go. They're not letting the black go. They're not letting the black go.
0: A student from the Democratic Republic of Congo, Bitney Mutom, described the scene. It was very shocking. I had
2: never seen people forget their humanity like that. And it was, I, I hate to mention race, but race did play a very big part in it. It's very understandable that the Ukrainians would
0: like to go first because it's their country and they're going through this very traumatic event. But I felt like it was also forgotten that this wasn't our country. We were just as confused and lost as they were whereas they were getting treated very well and being told to go into places first. We were being shoved and essentially very sad to say treated like kettle. We were being hit with batons we were being like shouted at and screamed at it was it was very traumatic and I'm with my little sisters so I just and I got separated from my little
2: brother at the border because they wouldn't let him come with us.
0: A pregnant woman from Nigeria, Jessica, says she was forced to walk 20 miles to the border after being denied a seat on a bus on the Ukraine side.
1: And when it was time to get on this bus, the Ukrainians said, just Ukrainians, literally as a black person. I even lied that I was pregnant. I was begging. The official literally looked me in my eye and said, in his language, only Ukrainians that's all. That if you are black, you should walk. And that was an additional eight hours from where we were. By car, it was like 30 minutes. So we had to walk additional eight hours. The problem isn't, isn't at the Polish border. It is at the Ukrainian border.
0: Nevertheless, there were some signs of humanity, according to a young African woman who said she was well treated at Ukraine's border with Romania.
1: So, we, the blacks in Ukraine, have finally entered Romania and we are in the train station right now to board a train to the capital to board a flight to Ghana and then others going to Nigeria, Zimbabwe. So, this is where we are right now. These are the Africans. We are all safe. Romania has been so, so good to us. They've accommodated us, gave us food and everything. We've not spent even a dollar in Romania because they've taken care of us, everything. So, yes, this say thank
0: you to Romania as you said at the end thank you Romania Ghanaians and Kenyans were said to be amongst those attempting to flee the war along with some of the 6,000 black Ukrainians currently as the Russian army makes incursions into Ukraine the official position of Poland is that people don't need a visa to enter that enter from that country however multiple accounts indicate that the authorities are imposing restrictions on black people you're listening to WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo here in New York. Tensions are permeating the diplomatic discourse. The General Assembly meeting today opened with news that the United States was kicking out 12 Russian United Nations diplomats whom Washington has accused of spying. Yesterday, White House spokesperson Jen Psaki addressed the reasons the Russian diplomats were kicked out and responded to Russia's reaction that it was a hostile act by the United States. She also referred to Biden's focus at tonight's State of the Union address.
2: The president will lay out the efforts he has led on to rally the world to stand up for democracy and against Russian aggression. He will talk about the steps we've taken to not only support the Ukrainian people with military and economic assistance, but all the steps he's taken to build a global coalition imposing crippling financial sanctions on President Putin, his inner circle, and the Russian economy. And he will talk about the steps he's taking to mitigate the impact of President Putin's invasion of Ukraine on the global economy and the American people. And I would say this speech is more about um, the unity of the vast majority of the global community uh, in standing up against President Putin. It's more about American leadership in this moment, and it's more about even unity here and standing up against the aggression of President Putin into Ukraine.
0: The White House press spokesperson, Jen Psaki, while most of the nations who spoke at the General Assembly in New York today, there was over 110 of them that signed up to have a position, joined in denouncing Russia, the Cuban ambassador put the onus for the invasion on United States policy designed to expand NATO to the borders of Russia.
2: The United States and allies have used force on multiple occasions invading sovereign states to trigger Regime change and interfering in the internal affairs of other nations that do not bow to their interests of domination and who defend their territorial integrity and independence. They're also responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of civilians, which they describe as collateral damage. Cuba will continue. Advocating a diplomatic situ- uh, solution which is serious, constructive and realistic for the current crisis in Europe through peaceful means that will guarantee the freedom and sovereignty of all
0: A translation of the speech by Cuba's ambassador to the United Nations today. China, another Russian ally, called for respecting all countries' sovereignty and internationally recognized borders, but didn't directly address the uh, resolution. The draft resolution demands that Russia immediately stop using force against Ukraine and withdraw all troops. It urges an immediate peaceful resolution through dialogue and negotiations, and it deplores what it calls Russia's aggression and the involvement of Belarus, which is siding with Moscow. In related news, Russian and Ukrainian officials held more talks on Belarus's border, agreeing only to keep talking. Russian Ambassador Vasily Nebenzia reiterated his country's assertions that what it calls a special military operation in defense of two breakaway areas in eastern Ukraine was being misrepresented. And in Washington, according to White House officials, President Joe Biden will vow to make Vladimir Putin pay a price for Russia's invasion of Ukraine in his first State of the Union address. That's tonight at 8 p.m., rallying allies abroad while also outlining his plans at home to fight inflation and the fading but still dangerous coronavirus. Biden planned in his Tuesday night remarks to highlight the bravery of Ukrainian defenders and the resolve of a newly reinvigorated Western alliance that has worked to rearm the Ukrainian military and cripple Russia's economy through sanctions. He was set to deliver an ominous warning that without consequences, Russian President Putin's aggression wouldn't be contained to Ukraine. But Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says, while the GOP is backing Biden for now, he blamed the Democrats for enabling Russia.
3: Fortunate enough to have the majority next year i'll be the majority leader i'll decide in consultation with my members what to put on the floor and let me tell you what would not be a part of our agenda we will not have as part of our agenda a bill that raises taxes on half of the american people and sunsets social security and medicare within five years that will not be part of a republican senate majority agenda we will focus instead on what the american people are concerned about inflation energy defense the border, and crime
0: senate gop minority leader mitch mcconnell in the last couple of days new york city mayor eric adams has joined with the governor of new york state kathy Hochul, to start relieving us of the two years of various mandates to wear masks in many places in the city, stores, public events. New York City has legally required us to have those masks at many locations, and it's come to the point now with the decline of the Omicron variant of the virus and the diminishing number of people getting sick and testing positive and winding up in the hospital and deaths as well associated with Omicron to relieve us of some, as many as they can, in our schools and in certain public locations. Many people say maybe New York City is uh, moving a little too quickly. Mayor Adams said it's just time to get past this.
4: The goal was to get people vaccinated. That's how we got here. Uh, Over 70-something percent, I think it's over 75 percent, have both dosage. Over 85 percent have at least one. And the goal was to uh, put in place ways to encourage people to get vaccinated. I believe we've accomplished that. Uh, we, were, we were extremely successful. We should be commended as New Yorkers uh, to go into restaurants. Now, when we talk about the employee mandates, it's imperative for the businesses uh, to continue to create a safe environment for their employees. Uh, when I sat down with the doctors, because I always stated we're going to go based on the science, they were clear we need to keep in place the mandate for employees or workers and that includes city workers as well tourism is a major economic boost for us we want our tourists back in the city domestic travelers really have uh, stabilized our tourist industry and so many of them are providing the same you have to be tested before getting on board so many of these locales have good rules in place that will ensure that we are not being reckless but we're being responsible
0: and that is the mayor speaking, I believe, yesterday. Since the Omicron variant began to dominate cases in the United States in late 2021, mainstream media have routinely characterized it as mild compared with the Delta variant, which was the variant that preceded it. But as pointed out by an author, Catherine Wu, in The Atlantic last month, COVID-19 doesn't have to be medically severe to take a toll. Experts say that Omicron can worsen chronic health issues and even asymptomatic cases can lead to long COVID, a version of COVID that causes tremendous health problems for weeks and sometimes even months. Justin Feldman is a health and human rights fellow at the Francois Xavier Bagnoud Center for Health and Human Rights at Harvard University. He's written that when using a news database in mid-January, he found that more than 700 U.S. news articles, headlines, emphasize that Omicron is mild. But today, he tells WBAI when Omicron first hit the United States, pundits and government officials painted a misleading picture that downplayed the severe public health consequences of the variant.
3: Both media and White House officials and other politicians, they were elevating one piece which is true there are some complicated technical issues it is true that compared to delta the delta variant which was especially severe omicron if you get infected omicron is less likely to kill you less likely to affect your lungs it has more effects on other targets like the circulatory system but they use that fact to Call the disease mild. And in my research, I found in one news database alone, 700 news headlines emphasizing that Omicron was mild. Uh, I compared that to the number of news headlines saying that the Delta variant was more severe. And it was something like 15 times more headlines emphasizing the mildness of Omicron. Uh, and, and they used this idea of mildness to to mean mild to society and causing few hospitalizations and deaths when in fact we saw the highest number of hospitalizations in the u.s. since the pandemic started and well over a hundred thousand deaths from the omicron wave so far and they use this as justification for relaxing public health measures for example the cdc cutting the number of days of isolation time for people infected from ten days to five days when we know And we now, especially now, that you're still very likely to be infectious after five days.
0: Why was there such an emphasis on downplaying the severity of Omicron if, in fact, it wasn't really that less severe?
3: We've had politicians, media, pundits, whatever, downplaying the threat of COVID from the very beginning. You may have heard from people like Trump it's just the flu. It's just like the flu. The flu doesn't kill what's nearly a million people in the U.S. It would take decades for it to flu to kill a million people. The downplaying of the severity has always been an excuse to do less to try to prevent the spread of the virus. If you think about Omicron specifically, we were basically at a point where the Biden administration... And uh, especially Republican governors and Republicans in Congress, but also the Biden administration had decided they were not going to do things like close indoor dining or put some of the restrictions that we saw early in the pandemic back to try to flatten the curve at very least. So they didn't renew some of the policies like uh, expanded unemployment ran out, aid to businesses for them to be closed or have limited capacity ran out. They did not try to bring that back. So the only option that we had at that point was just to to push through and allow virtually, you know, large majority of the population, let's say, be infected by Omicron. And, And that's precisely what happened. Many people died. Many people are hospitalized. Vaccines help a lot. But vaccination alone is not enough, especially at the levels we have and with few people having boosters, we're not enough to prevent a massive wave of hospitalizations and deaths.
0: Just because it seems to be getting less severe doesn't mean it's not. the next variant could be more, less, the same, or different.
3: There's a myth out there that says viruses evolve to become less severe to humans. That is sometimes true, it is not always true. Viruses like SARS-CoV-2, the one that causes COVID, they evolved to become more transmissible. Evolution doesn't really care how severe it is. We could have a more transmissible variant that beats Omicron that is less severe, that's equally severe, that's more severe. We, we just don't know. We've been pretty lucky so far that most of the vaccines that we use commonly in the U.S. have held up well, especially, again, fossilization and deaths. But there is a bit of weakening if the situation gets worse in terms of mutation evading previous immunity, whether it's from prior infection or prior vaccination. We sure better put measures into place to prevent spread or we're going to be in even bigger trouble.
0: Justin Feldman is Health and Human Rights Fellow at the Francois Xavier Bagnud Center for Health and Human Rights at Harvard University. That's some of the news for Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. The news producer, Linda Perry, our engineers, Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul Durianzo. Thanks for listening.